Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeberry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on TDR, Inflation Nation. In our deep dive today, we'll look at the variety of factors driving up inflation in the country, the effect it has on consumers, and the inevitable political leverage it creates for politicians on either side of the aisle. And in our Courage or Cringe segment, I Love Lucy casting controversy, YouTube cancels dislikes, and John Cleese cancels himself. Is a major Hollywood director defending artistic integrity in the casting decisions of his new film? Or is this another example of Hollywood's consistent lack of Latino representation? Is the world's largest video platform looking out for creators with their new product update? Or are they executing a preemptive move focused on congressional regulators? And finally, is a seminal British comedian bravely standing up to the cancel mob, or is he just stirring up controversy to generate interest in a new show? This and more this week on TDR. To get right into this subject, I just want to open with a little bit of a preface. Mm-hmm. I actually, and this is going to sound really stupid, so it's perfectly, it's suited to me. It's very, very on brand. Very on brand. So <laughs> I, I, I actually noticed the impact of inflation when my wife was away in Columbus for almost three months. I don't Because I, you were buying other things yourself. Dude, that's is that that's kind of dumb, right? Is that like uh, semi patriarchal? But <laughs> semi, but, but <laughs> well, no, because no, because I buy gas and I buy all kinds of stuff on my own. I, I buy stuff. It's not like I don't buy anything. Yeah, it's but more it, like Charlie, what's the price of milk? No, I don't no, know. No, 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 thousand dollars. <laughs> no, but that's that's what I'm telling you. So I because I was doing grocery shopping right. in particular, yeah, and yeah. you would go and the milk was whatever it was. It was four dollars or whatever the number was, and then like a month later, it was a dollar more, and I was like, right. wow. Wow. And this is my moment of lucidity in the idea of there's a there's a term for this in politics. I'm going to forget it. But this idea of like kind of pocketbook politics, right? Like sure. the staples of life. Gas is a huge one. Yeah. But other ones, bread, milk, things mm-hmm. like that. I really did pay attention to the rise of these things from that standpoint. It, it gave me like a window mm-hmm. into into that into the inflation world that I hadn't considered before. Sure. Yeah. No, it's it's real. It's real. Um, and yes, it's those those daily those daily things that I think make the biggest difference. Yeah, for me, it's been gas. That's the one that is just it's just so hard to not notice, um, especially when you start. You know, like for me to fill up my tank is like seventy bucks. Oh yeah, or more. Yeah, more. 
And well, what kind of gas are you putting in? The good one or the cheap one? I always say like the, the medium one. one. So that's like the worst one for economically, right? Because it's like it's 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 not enough performance difference, but it's more expensive than the regular one. I heard that somebody at one point said, if you're going to do anything, do either the the eight, the cheap one or the premium one. But the one in the middle is like, that's the medium size, right? which most people order, but it's actually the best for the person selling it, not for the person buying it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds good. I don't know if I'm right, but. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go with that, with that theory. So there's been a lot, obviously. Inflation's a big topic. The amount of... Uh, Neither you and I are economists, no. um, for sure, but we're consumers and we're relatively informed on stuff. Um, I mean, what's your take on how to start dissecting this or, or talking about this? I got a couple well, of thoughts. I would but... say that your whole thing about pocketbook uh, politics, I think that's real. Um, and, uh, you know, for your average person, they're seeing the effects right now uh, of inflation, right? Um, probably, to me, still the most obvious is gas. Mm-hmm. Just because it's for most people that are commuting or driving, this tends to be like a weekly expense you put in, and it's 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 real. You see it everywhere. Also, it's one of those things, one of those prices that everywhere you see. Yeah. Because when you're driving, you see what the price is, and there's like sort of sort of cutoff numbers that all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? When did that happen? That's right. And here in California, that cutoff was five. The cutoff was five dollars, right? The moment you were like, wait, what? Now we're <laughs> over five. Right. When did that happen? Right. And. It's so obvious, so in your face, and I think that's part of it. But then you start looking at the actual data, and you're saying, like, oh, wow, actually, we are having a really high inflation rate number. Now, the part that gets really complicated, because, you know, as, as I started, and I told you this when we were saying we we're going to talk about this, I'm like, you know, to be honest, I'm not that well-informed. I'm yeah, not that well-informed in terms of what drove this, what's going on. The challenging thing as well is, depending on what you listen to, there's always a political spin with it, for right? sure. Um, mm-hmm. Immediate, right? And I, 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 I am a big believer that even when you look at these kind of situations, whether it's inflation or the stock market, to put it all entirely on the presidents, either good or bad, it's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. Now, people do use it as a score all the time. Like for Trump, it was the stock market. Mm-hmm. Now, did he personally make it all go up or go down? No, of course yeah. not. And gas prices too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Gas yeah. yeah, is the other one, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Those are the two that people tend to look at, and I think I sort of put it the same way here. And so it was interesting, kind of going in, digging into what at least some of the experts are talking about. I actually use Forbes because I figure if I'm gonna get a more econ- uh, like That's economics good. version of this, yeah. Now I think Forbes may be still somewhat politically safe, but but you hope they're less than some of the other places, you know? I think they're they're tend- more straight. But it was it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the starting point though is like what is the actual inflation rate number? Which to me, I didn't even know what that what it's that like was. Six or something. It's six point two percent, right? And the way that they do these things, they're they're for a twelve month period. So every month, they get put out for the for the trailing twelve months, right? So think about this: so the last one that came out was for October two thousand twenty one. I've seen it every month or every two months. I think the next one maybe I don't know if it's November or December. The next one that's coming out. Six point two percent, which is the highest it's been since November of nineteen ninety, at five point four percent. It was a good year. I was a junior in high school. Uh yeah, so I'm trying to think. November 1990, what was happening? You weren't then? you weren't was, even was, in high school yet, were you? Uh, I was not in high school yet. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I think I was a junior. Yeah, I was a junior. I graduated in 91. And from high school? Yeah, from high school. Yeah, I graduated from junior high in 91. So you, yeah, you're. Is that two, four years behind me then? Four uh, years. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I was 95 uh, from high school. That was college for me. I graduated college in 95. Um, yep. 
Yeah, so 1990, that would have been uh, Gulf War. Is that is that around? Is that yep. am I remembering correctly? Yeah. Desert Storm, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, so probably you were seeing a lot of shortages in in oil production. Mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's probably what drive what drove this, right? But yeah, I was looking at the actual inflation rates. I haven't pulled it up here, and you could see it, man. I mean, you know, in 2020 it was 1.4, 2021 now 6.2, 19 2.3. It's kind of been in that two percent, two to one percent for mm-hmm. a while. Uh, 10 years ago, 2011, it was at 3%, right? So basically half of what it is right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in terms of what you're seeing, some of the causes, or at least where it's being most reflective, um, definitely energy. So gas prices will be one. Uh, shelter, right? So housing. Rent, etc. Housing rent has mm-hmm. been going up quite a bit. Housing costs have been going up the entire time, which is crazy. Food, which is what you were talking about, sure. right? So you're seeing that directly there. And vehicles, that's a big one. I mean, I I literally have the worst timing (laughs) of having to change cars. But yeah, new and used vehicles. Um, Yeah. And what was interesting and kind of digging into it, at least as it relates to what Forbes was talking about, I thought it was a good way to sort of think about this. There was three main issues that it kind of got into. One was what they called their base effects, right? And, And basically, this was the argument there was that a lot of this seems to be tied to the pandemic, period. If you're going to put like one overarching theme, right? Now, those base effects, it made it was making the case that in some cases, uh, there was actually drops in prices in different sectors because of people being locked on, locked, you know, locked in at home, not consuming of certain types of products. It wasn't the case for, for a number of things, but a certain type of products. And therefore, that results in a pricing going down, right? And the, it gave a great example of airline prices. Right, so it, according to the data, it was saying that by April 2020, airfares had fallen by 24 percent year over year from 2019 to from two. in April of 2020. And that, was only, 2020. that was only a month into this thing, two months into this thing. It like dropped. Well, yeah, but that's because it like really gotten sort of shut down, right? Yeah, but then it really cratered though, wasn't it? Like a, I mean, it was. The, the, I don't know. If these... I don't know if that was the the, the sort of the, the bottom of it, right? Yeah. Of, of the falling. Uh, but by June of 2021, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, prices were up 25% from June 2020, right? But they were still lower than they had been pre-pandemic, right? Yeah. So that's the case of where you are seeing inflation rise, but it really is a result of, of drops in pricing that, that you saw, um, you know, this past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was sort of one, and that makes sense, right? That's sort of one of, one of the areas that started to bounce back. The big one that I think we've been talking, I think we talked about it a little bit, and this one I was mo- most aware of is, Supply chain issues. I mean, For this sure. is a major, major one. Global logistics. Global yep. logistics. Um, I looked this up, actually, and transportation and warehousing costs have skyrocketed uh, up over 12% year-over-year growth in just that category right. of literally moving and storing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, obviously, that gets passed on. Yeah. I mean, you've seen um, stories of people just literally leaving their um, – you know their their cargo like uh, at the shore, just leaving it there because it's just more it's just too expensive to try to like put it anywhere else. You and know? there's nobody to actually pick it up because you've got a worker shortage so, as well. Well, then that's the third one is the worker shortage. So that's you have this like really crazy combination of what's happening with these three things that are all adding to inflation, right? The the, the auto was an interesting one. Um, it talked about the fact that in many cases for production of new uh, of new cars, there's been a shortage in chips that are mostly done yes. in Asia. Yep. And there is this ripple effect that then that creates a shortage in new cars, right? And then when many people that weren't traveling, that created a shortage of people using rental cars, which is a big source of used cars. 
So the right. used cars went away, and so the, the price used for the car, used cars went up. Right. So the uh, so it just is just all these sort of factors that start adding in. You know what it reminds me of in a way that, that, that maybe a little bit farther afield from economics, but it's related. Is this whole idea of kind of chaos theory and like complex math, where like one small little ripple somewhere has like a downstream impact that you would never have anticipated because of the connection of a thousand different variables that get triggered by that one thing, right? So this, the famous example is a butterfly flaps its wings in like Vietnam. Right, right, right. And, exactly. You know what I'm saying? There's but, so much of this, right? So that's why when I, when I think about all of these factors, you know, part of the question that I ask myself is that when you hear all the pundits talking about it on both sides, like you look at all, all three of those issues, how much can you blame one government versus the other? Right. Yeah, I understand. See, what I'm saying like that—that's yeah. to me like, well, that's—I mean, the supply chain issues. You can you can put put some blame, some decisions have been made here and there, but the broader global problem, like this, took decades to build, mm -hmm. decades of of globalization, decades of moving manufacturing out of the U.S. into other places because it was just cheaper, right? Decades, so decades. Actually, this was a good one that I, that I, that I thought about it. And I remember learning this a lot in, in business school, which was like the just-in-time manufacturing. That's actually a really big, a huge part of the problem right now mm -hmm. is that so many companies were optimized to not basically order raw materials, not order parts uh, until they absolutely need them yeah. just in time to continue manufacturing. Well, that just-in-time efficiency works well when there is absolutely when, no hiccups when we're flush in, with the, the, in the supply in the chain supply process. Chain. Yeah. The moment you have a hiccup, it's like... It's not the right approach to have. Done. You want to have so, something in the warehouse. You want to be... That's right. Yeah. So, so that's... You know, major, major problem. Well, like, so that's not a, a that's not an issue from the last four years, eight years, or it's not. But, le but let me push back a little bit on that. Just mm -hmm. what what your thoughts are on this? Number one is there does seem to be causal or correlated, uh, open for debate, but a connection between the spike in inflation and the new administration taking taking place. Right? There seems to be a relationship in those graphs about it beginning to 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 go up at the beginning of the of the administration. So there's that. And I, just curious I don't what, think it's causal. I think um, okay, that's what I'm saying. It's right, right. causal or correlated, but there is an overlap between those, right. right? And you could say the same thing about illegal immigration or immigration in general. Like there's yeah. there's a spike there. The second thing is what I've heard. And this I is think what that I, one's much more causal than just yeah, you know, yeah. timing because uh, it's also more singular. There's like one thing as opposed to ten thousand things, right? With the with the border that, that right, 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 right. Because right. I think the the more the alignment is much more about the country opening back up. Mm -hmm. Uh, not just the country, the world opening back up and the rise of inflation. The UK is in, a, I think, a 10-year high of inflation as well. Yeah. So it's not a U.S. Well, but, only but issue. This year, for the sure. Point but, is but like as the world is opening back up. But there's also that argument is as the U.S. goes, so does a lot of other you know, closely yeah, related I guess. Uh, I guess, countries. Sure. The, the, but the, the thing that I wanted to kind of mm -hmm. posit, though, for you is the idea of energy, like specifically gas and energy-related yeah. stuff, which is – this that I've heard in a number of different places, which was we were a net exporter in the last administration of energy for the first time in like 20 or some odd years, maybe maybe more than that. And that now it seems like we're asking the oil producing countries, OPEC, all those guys, to actually create more energy in order to supply the needs that we have. And from what I understand, a lot of those guys have said like, no, we're good. We're, we're good with the way things are. And then that, since they're not producing more, the cost of what they have has gone up, namely right. more costs, more um, uh, higher prices at the pump as an example of that, right? So yeah. that to me does seem, I don't know all the policy steps involved there, but it seems like there's some relationship between being a net exporter for a while and now, now being a net 
importer again, right? So like I need more fuel from the outside world to, to, to yeah, operate. I think the challenge with, with that view you just described is that this notion that the second that Saudi Arabia or any of these, these oil-producing countries, anything happens there, gas prices just erupts immediately. I never, I've never understood how gas prices can change so quickly on a headline that obviously has nothing to do with what they're actually paying for it. Well, and it doesn't change. But, but, it doesn't change this, everywhere too. That's the other thing. I was just I was telling you about renting this truck in Phoenix. Right, right? gas was like two dollars and thirty cents. That's like an hour flight. In Texas, it was two dollars and fifty cents. Right. Right. Here it's five bucks. Some places in California it's eight bucks. So it yeah. also doesn't seem uniform. No, for sure it isn't. And it's not like like uh, we don't uh, um, extract oil in California. We do. Right. As a matter of fact, that was one of my first jobs ever is working in the oil fields at be you know n- north of Bakersfield for mobile. They have oil fields here in Inglewood and stuff. Yeah, that's right? true. Just right. It's so, crazy. But 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 I've always found that really interesting. So I. I don't disagree with, with, with the point that you that you just made about being from an importer to an exporter, but this notion that anything that happens in the Middle East or any of these oil-producing countries has an immediate impact in gas prices in the U.S., mm-hmm. and it's had the entire time. If anything, I think it makes the argument of continuing—and this is part of the challenging part because I've heard this as well, right? Like, this is a lot of what the White House says. Yeah, these are all great reasons why we should continue to move— to reducing our dependency in some of these, you know, um, types of energies, right? And I don't disagree with that statement. Part of the everyday person, like, that's great. But then what are we doing right now about the $5, you know, <laughs> uh, you know per gallon cost? And both of those things are actually true. People are... Do you See think, what I'm saying? Like, like yeah, this of trend of being are. overly uh, dependent on the oil-producing countries and, and the U.S. constantly being hit, that the, look, the reality is, even right now, if any of those countries say, hey, we're not going to give you any oil, that's a massive global problem. It is. By the way, Immediately. I, 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 have a, I have a correction to issue as well because one of my favorite new uh, charts to look at is companiesmarketcap.com. Uh-huh. This lists the companies in the world with the highest market capitalization. Yeah. And we had said it before on the show at some point, right? The trillion-dollar companies. Mm-hmm. There are now seven trillion-dollar companies or more in the world of those, and that's Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Tesla, which is a new entrant in the Trillion Dollar Club, and Facebook. The one of those, so six of those are American. The one that isn't is the Saudi oil and gas company. I said it was the Chinese oil and gas company, but I'd gotten that from another mm-hmm. article. But to your point on Saudi, on, on Saudi oil, it is a $2 trillion market capitalization. It's one of only three companies on earth that is a $2 trillion market cap, Saudi Aramco is the name of the company. So uh, I, I want to make that correction, but it goes to your point about, you know, dependence right. and size and, and all of that. I this. mean, right now, look, uh, uh, I just pulled it up because I was curious about that, but we just said, right? The U.S., this amount of, of crude oil, okay? It imports 7.86, I don't know how many, well, I don't even know what the, what the, what the metric is. Quatrillion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, whatever the metric is, okay? 7.86. It exports 8.5. Mm-hmm. There is, it's still exporting more than it still imports. But my point is, Seven point eight, like literally half of yeah. it is coming from somewhere else, right? Yeah. Like that's still a massive, massive problem. And we talk about like transportation costs. Well, the reality is, if there's any kind of oil that needs to get or mm-hmm. gas needs to be put for 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 charter for these, you know, uh, transportation charters that need to be, you know, sent from from anywhere to the U.S., 
those costs that happen globally still impact the U.S. The other couple of things that are happening as part of this inflation wave that haven't happened before, and I got most of my stats from Seeking Alpha. They actually had a really great article uh-huh. on inflation, stagflation, a bunch of different things. One of them is this idea of the great resignation, too. There's yeah, yeah, more job openings than there are unemployed Americans. And employers, to offset that, are offering higher wages, one-time bonuses, all these different things to sweeten the deal. And workers have a lot more you know, uh, leverage. I was, I was hearing... Um, I'm blanking on his name. Andrew Schultz, the comedian. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked to you about him yeah. before. And they, him and this other guy that they have this shit, this, this podcast, and they had like a semi-racist segment, I would mm-hmm. say, where they were talking about this. Um, and I, I'm sure they meant it as a compliment. They did. They meant it as a compliment. But when you hear it, like, that sounds pretty racist, right? <laughs> and the compliment is about, compliment? you know, how hard workers Mexicans are, mm-hmm. right? How hard, hard, hard working Mexicans are. Okay. And the whole thing is like, you know, say, think about any business that the moment they get a, you know, Mexican workers, like, good luck trying to get that job again for anyone else, right? So they were telling, like, hey, for all those people that have quit their jobs and don't want to go back to work, like, we should threaten them. Like, if you don't take your jobs back, we're going to give it to all all these Mexicans coming over the border. Right. Right. Terrible. I'm I'm paraphrasing what he's saying. I've never liked that argument. I've told you that before. But the point, but the point he's making, which is, as terrible as it is, there's something to be said about this. Which there is, like, is, but it which doesn't is like make you're it not racist because I think it is. Well, I'm, I'm not talking about the Mexican part, but yeah. you're saying we're, we're having two things that are both true, right? We both have massive shortage in workers, massive, and especially in low-paying jobs because, look, as race to high-paying jobs, that's there's a lot of interest there still, right? In low-paying jobs, low-skill, low-paying jobs, and yet we also have people that we – we're, we that we could be potentially people that want to come to the U.S. that will want to take these jobs, and we're fighting that off as well. So both things are actually happening mm-hmm. in that in that scenario, and that's what makes it this issue even more complicated, right? Because that is a big part of the of the issue. People have resigned, have left their jobs, et for sure. And the other part, that, that, according to this article, that's really interesting, compounding this idea of since there's you know workers are kind of they have a lot more leverage, so it's creating higher salaries more bonuses, that kind of stuff, right? So the cost of actually employing people is going up. The other thing that's related to that is that there's some structural problems that have been forming, to your point, over decades that are adding to this rising uh, labor cost. And it identifies five of these. I'll just read them really quickly. One of them, which I thought was super interesting, was they called it the discrediting and discouraging of blue-collar work. I think this, this goes directly to what you're talking about, which is in the past decades basically convincing everyone that kids who lacked the desire to go to college were destined to be kind of second-class citizens. So that kind of creates this idea that maybe I don't want that job, you know, twisting that wrench or doing whatever, because somehow I view that as like a failure, given how well we've we've advanced this idea of post-secondary education. And I'm not saying college is bad. I think college is good. But I'm just saying that we've gotten so hardcore on that one that anything that is in college seems like a failure. So they identified that as a structural issue over decades. They also identified low birth rates, right? There's just less mm-hmm. people in the country. Yeah, we've talked about that. The retirement of baby boomers, a broken immigration system, to your point, mm-hmm. and a growing welfare state that encourages, in some cases, people not to work, particularly with all the kind of you know proceeds that have been going on in COVID. I saw that personally just with people that I talked to that are like local merchants where I live. <clears throat> 
where people are like, I just can't get people to come into work because like they're better off staying home, at least during this COVID window, right? Yeah. So I have a lot of issue with the last one because it, it just it makes it like people are just super lazy. They're just feeding off the government. But isn't it one of these things that can be also true at the same time? It doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies sure in some cases. Sure, but you could you could apply some cases to a lot of things. Right. I mean the the some cases if a there's a if it applies enough, to one person, case, it applies to some cases. Saying. Right. Right. If it applies to two people, it applies to some cases. I, I hate that argument because we're still talking about we you and I have talked about what is the average salary for people that are that are uh, work on tips around across the nation? It was like a buck something. Right, because the tip is it's what like, they actually get. Get out of here. Like, so then you're saying, oh, you're being a lazy ass and want to stay at home and going and basically sucking off the tit of the government. Maybe let's not pay people a buck twenty as their average salary either. Right, but see but, what I'm saying? But, like, but like for, that. But for context, the buck twenty is because those are principally um, a uh, what's it called? A, yeah, gratuity based gratuity based yeah, jobs. Yeah. Right, that's so still you, terrible, Charlie. It's, like, it, it's still terrible. I, I get that. It I makes it that. so to the point. It's not even about looking down of like, hey, I should look down on you because you're a waiter. Because you say you should go to college, like no. How do you how do you support a family? How do you like go beyond living in your for, with your parents? You don't. Being a waiter? You don't. It's basically it's the it's the. See what I'm saying? So like of that, course, that it's is, the little. It's basically that two dollars or whatever it is. There's some legal reason or some stupid legal reason why that's the case. It's the way that the that the business can say I'm paying you something, but I know your job. You're not here for the two dollars. You're here for the twenty dollar tip right. on a hundred dollar meal. That's and, what and, you're here for. And when you look at then you add the tips, it was still terrible. Like the average in the country, like seven yeah, bucks something. Uh, I mean, I'm it, sure. it's, it's really I'm really sure. bad. By the way, I I, I do, I'm also not a huge fan of that argument I, I prefer it slightly more than the argument about well you know nobody wants these jobs so let's just give it to the immigrants like that to me seems even worse like as an well, argument yeah i guess my my argument is more um this is why i am for increasing minimum wage in many of these cases i actually think this will be better off because everyone talks about like yeah but you increase minimum wage you're gonna basically have businesses close those same businesses are closing now because they can't get employees to work there that's the truth. And or pay someone else right. who's willing to do it illegally under the table those same really crappy wages to sustain businesses that probably shouldn't be operating. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about this whole thing that's unique to our moment of inflation now it hasn't existed before. By the way, we haven't seen inflation like this since since the – well, in a real sense since the 70s. I, say, I know you said nine, 1990, but I think like yeah. a sustained period of inflation – People right, are familiar right. with those, the Jimmy Carter and blah, blah. But the other thing that is new about this is e-commerce is now one of every $5 spent by consumers. And oh, so that's a factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, and, and it lists literally like the categories from apparel to electronics to non-prescription drugs, pet products. Every single one of them with one exception on this list that I'm looking at right now is up relative to historical. And the one category that's down in, books. Like mm-hmm. everything else, office supplies, toys, grocery. The, the, and the reason why that's um, – the reason why that matters a lot is um, also because of we, – we were talking about some of the supply chain issues, right? When, when it comes to shipping, uh, delivering of, of these products, you go from what was traditionally having to have these big 18-wheelers that were taking a bunch of product all to certain locations, a Target, a Shipping Walmart, centers. Yeah. Shipping centers, right? To now you're having to have shipping centers and then individual shipping to all these other folks. So it's just a massive backlog when you start thinking about that, right? It so is. That's why it's uh, – and that's a big problem, right? Which was accelerated by COVID, right? For because sure. I mean, and all these had... trends could have been impacted for sure. Yeah. By COVID. Yeah. That's, the biggest question becomes like to what degree this is our new normal or, or is this something that will 
go back to more normal growth rates, right, or, or inflation rates over time. I think that's the, that's one of the big questions that I think a lot of people have, um, because with the with the whole thing about about you know the, the country getting back to normal the second it was opening up, it's just it's just gonna take time. Yeah. And I think part of it you'll see will be interesting to see is to what degree do we learn from this to change some of the the way that we think about manufacturing, maybe move away some from just in time manufacturing to having actually having to carry inventory like new con <laughs> new slash old concept. Yeah, exactly. Everything old is new again. Right. Uh, moving more of those operations to the U.S. or being more nearshore, not as as offshore. As relying on the for yeah on, on foreign right. Countries. So you may see potentially some. I think you uh, have to some, some opportunity level. for Latin America. For sure, that of things that will otherwise be done in Asia, in, in Asia, mm-hmm. uh, because it's just still easier to do. If anything happens, you could you know try to drive a truck from Mexico or mm-hmm. even Central America or, or South America. Just easier still than having to ship something from um, potentially right in terms of like issues that could, that could happen. Um, so I think those are all be interesting trends to look at. What's also clear as a kind of closing thought is that no matter what happens, it's clear to me that inflation or stagflation, if we get to that point. It'll be used as a cudgel in either scenario politically, right? In other words, like mm-hmm. it's bad for the people who are in the administration right now. Yes, it'll it'll it might usher in a wave of different people in administration who will be dealing with the problem as well and maybe taking different steps to solve it. But either way, it's going to be used as a oh, for sure. political tool. There's no and it already has been. It already is. Been. It already is. And the reality, if this was the opposite, if Trump was in office, it'd be also used the same way. Of course, yeah. you think people are not going to be like, oh no, no well, it's all well, good. We realize that it's not all yeah. your fault. That yeah. it has to do with decades worth of infrastructure problems. No. By the way, no. remember, remember the no. Instagram channel that you, you've talked about off, often here about like the whiteness of the brand based yeah, yeah. on the number of pixels? There's a, 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 I forget, I don't know the name of it. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it. But there is a, an Instagram channel of just pictures at the pump, like the, the picture of how much I spent and thanks Biden. That's all it is. <laughs> Literally across the world. But that, right. But that's, I mean, it's, it makes for a funny meme. It's a funny meme. Well, it makes, that's what memes it makes are for a for. funny meme, right? Uh, what I, what I found kind of hilarious is that um, as I think as you know right the the big bipartisan I can say it's bipartisan they get infrastructure super, yeah re, re, some Republican support the infrastructure package has got signed right for one point two trillion mm-hmm. there is the second part of that the Build Back Better plan mm-hmm. that's was priced at one point one point seven five trillion that one is now being rebranded as like the the way to fight inflation by the Democrats who want to like. And maybe and and look, they, they, there's potential like with all these things. There's probably some truth to it for sure. But there is this packaging, and of course, they're probably like, exact, no, this is exactly. See, it's all their build fault. Build back broke. I've heard this is all yeah. Biden's fault. It's everybody's all got his fault. Everybody's got their brand yeah. on the on the conservative yeah. side. It's build back broke. On the on the on the progressive side, it's this is to solve inflation. Exactly. But it's just new packaging. It's At the end of the day, packaging. we're all marketers, Jesus. See? That's what it is. Man. That's just better, it is. better marketing. That that's the part that I think you know. Still, the the, the best at it has to be Trump. Yeah, like that guy's ability to brand, to brand things, brand people or things. Yeah, no, everybody's got their gift. It's like maybe that was his. You know, making it really, really simple, easy for a slogan. <laughs> I mean, all he's right. really good at it. In the meantime, I guess we all have to buy a electric or get. Mo- like I've always suggested, see, here's another reason to ride motorcycles, Jesus. Here's I know, yet right? another reason. I know to I, ride I, motorcycles. Today it took forever for, and it was super expensive to just bring a come over here and uh and on uh, lift. Oh, I, sh- yeah, I should have ridden right. my bike. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have ridden my bike. You would have gotten here faster. Probably gotten here faster. Yeah, uh, I think so. Even bicycles are better, but I mean bicycles with motors on them. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Should we play Courage or Cringe? Let's play Courage or Cringe. Boom.
So, um, we had some fun ones. Uh, you know, the, the more I was looking at these, like, so actually some really interesting ones. So this first one, Aaron Sorkin defends casting Javier Bardem and Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos, saying, I'm very comfortable with it. Um, so courage on courage. So, look, there's going to be a new movie coming out about one of the most famous uh, multiracial comedy families. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucy Ball, uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, uh, who were better known as Lucy and Ricky Ricardo, from the show, of course, I Love Lucy. Of course. Did you watch I Love Lucy? Of course, of course. Yeah, Great show. Great show. Um, it, I mean, it was like, it was it was a very old show, and but they had it reruns all the time. I mean, it wasn't from our era, but I yeah, watched it yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, the new movie is called Being the Ricardo. So the original show was a trailblazer, right? Premiered in 1956. Mm, good year. Ran for, cars, for anyway. six seasons. Although you won't want to have a 1956 car right now, because I'll tell you what, that thing drinks like, <laughs> drinks like a Kennedy. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Ran for six seasons and had a total of 180 episodes, right? Now, it was one of the first shows to feature a Latino as a co-lead in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't shy away from it. Like, it was it was obvious in the show that he was Latino. Although, part of the obvious was also they, they used plenty of, of examples of, of, like, really playing those stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm sure you recall this. But every time, you know, uh, Ricky got mad, he would, like, go on a massive rant all in Spanish and... It was like, oh, yeah, the Jaje Latino, right? Mm-hmm. And they will, like, play that up every single time. She's like, okay, like, what is, she say? what is he saying? So, uh, but there is controversy in the casting, right? Actually, of both, right? So, first was the casting of Javier Bardem, uh, who is a Spaniard, as Ricky, who in both real life and in the show was Cuban. That's right. Uh, now, to this, Aaron... I like Javier Bardem. He's a great actor. He is a great actor. Yeah, he, he is. Uh, to this, Aaron Sorkin, the director of the film, said... First of all, Amazon's casting department had a Latina casting consultant who was mm. focused on all Latinx casting on board. On about a million-dollar-a-month retainer, I bet. I'm sure. I found out, for instance, because there was an actor who I was considering who's Brazilian, and I was told by the casting consultant that Brazilians aren't considered Hispanic because they speak Portuguese. So Javier is Spanish, and the casting consultant was fine with it. But by the way, couldn't you make the same argument that they are Latino, and therefore they can play a Latino, which a Cuban is? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I mean, you could play it on either side. You, you can, which kind of speaks, well, we'll get into the why I think it's, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, you, you continue. I want to tell you my opinion on this, and I, and I stand by it, which is Spanish and Cuban aren't actable, okay? I, I don't really understand They're what he means actable. by that, though. Actable, meaning that you, you can't... It, it, he's almost making the point that you can't play that, play the play the part of a Cuban or right. play the part of a. Well, I think you get more into into what when he says. Like, by the way, neither are straight and gay, mm-hmm. right? Because I know there's a small movement underway that only gay actors should play gay characters. Gay and straight aren't actable. You should act. You could act being attracted to someone, but most nouns aren't actable. I, I think I think he's saying it really oddly, but I think what he means is that. Basically, being like someone could basically just act yeah. as being Spanish or act as being Cuban doesn't is not a something that is, um, yeah, that, that can't be. Uh, I guess my question else. would be to, to, to put it more, more appropriately my question would be, what is actable? So, is actable like I'm a mechanic, I'm a right flight attendant that is actable, and what isn't actable is I'm. Latino, or I'm right, right, straight. Right. It's, it's a little, yeah, it, it was a little odd. Because uh, even that first phrase that Spanish and Cuban aren't actable, um, if you take that quote at face value, like, what are you talking about? Like, these are very nuanced cultures. Very they different have cultures. Very too. different mannerisms. For speak sure. very different. I mean, there is a lot. Of course. D- very different between Spanish and Cuban or any other, you know, Latino mm-hmm. variation, right? 
Now, he went on to make impressions of other castings that are considered demeaning, like Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you recall this, but they dressed him up of as... Of course, I remember the movie. Yeah, yeah, of course. yeah as yeah. being uh, Asian or Japanese, Chinese. Japanese, yeah. Was it Japanese? What it was? was Japanese, yeah. Um, like, they painted his face and... They, he, they uh, put like, tape on his eyes, they stretched him out. It was just, yeah, years. terrible. Couldn't find um, one Japanese actor. Not one. Not one. Uh, so, gay and straight aren't... Uh, I'm sorry. Um... But he doesn't see this basically in any way as demeaning, even though it got, and especially because it got the blessing from the daughter of Lucy and Desi, mm-hmm. right? Who's a, apparently a producer in the. In the and in I the do get well. his point about, you know, in the case of the Mickey Rooney character, he also brings up another example, which was, what was the other example he brought up in that same article of another demeaning kind of uh, rendition? Black, <clears throat> excuse me, blackface. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just broadly speaking, I do understand the idea, and this goes back to intention. If your intention. To, your intention is to mimic ridicule, make fun of, caricature. Right, right, right. I think that's what he's saying. And and there is that intent in yeah. blackface. There is that intent in Mickey Rooney's rendition. Is like, I'm not trying to play a Japanese guy. I'm trying to play a caricature of a Japanese yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there so is a difference yeah, there. I think there is a difference. I agree with mm-hmm. you. Um, the, by the way, there was also controversy with casting Nicole Kidman, right? Who is Australian, natural blonde, and has doesn't really have a comedy She's background. She's not a redhead, naturally. I, I thought she was redheaded, red-haired. I don't think so. I just remember the movie Far and Away with Tom Cruise back in the nineties. You, you ever watch that movie where they're Irish and they're coming to the to the states for the first time? I remember that. It's actually a really good movie. By the way, she, Nicole came in, She's a tall woman. She's very tall. I, I've I've been in the elevator with her, mm-hmm. and I just didn't realize how like she's a the five eleven maybe. Yeah, she's a tall tall woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there was also um, a lot of noise about uh, Deborah Messing getting passed over because Deborah Messing well, is that's, her, that's, is the same age and looks well, that's identical. What I'm saying is like basically her instead of like a Deborah Messing who is a comedy actress. Natural redhead, and actually looks. She does look looks like her. I saw a picture like, yeah. of both together. Like, yeah, and she... and has played her apparently in some other oh, stuff. That, right. Yeah. So, so courage or cringe? Aaron Sorkin defending the rights of actors to act, mm-hmm. or another example of Hollywood's lack of Latino representation. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be courage on this one. Um, I think initially Sorkin seems to be hiding behind the consultant. The whole idea of having a consultant. This goes to a philosophical thing. I don't know if you agree with me, but you know how I feel about it. If the only thing you've got to solve for a culturally sensitive or culturally uh, important moment in whatever you're doing. If the only thing you have is one person's opinion, I think that that's not enough, okay? But they had this person who said, it's A-okay with me, so therefore, you know, go forward. It seemed like he was making the case that that's why he did it. But then in the same article, he goes, I don't want to hide behind that person. I actually believe- He owned it, yeah, yeah. He owned it, for sure. He said, "I I really believe that this is right. Um, He also, you know, went a step further in terms of his conviction to say, I don't even think that gay has to play gay, which is itself not a a relatively controversial statement, especially given the context of Hollywood. So I I, I think for me and the way that he wraps it up, he's like, look, people have the wrong idea about this movie. They had the wrong idea when I did the social network, the Facebook movie. They thought it was going to be like about people hooking up on Facebook and it was completely different. It ended up being kind of a culturally iconic movie that talked about something much bigger. That's what's happening here. It's less about whether or not they look like them or speak like them or are from where they're from. It's more about you know playing the characters um, and doing it well, and they do do it well, fantastically well. And so he stood by his convictions, and I got to give him credit for that. Now, artistically, I would I have differences, right? I actually, as much as I like Javier Bardem, I actually don't think he's very well suited to play this kind of much more ebullient, sort of like larger than life kind of bubble, you know, this like, this Ricky Ricardo, and I know he's not just playing Ricky Ricardo because to be clear, he's playing, this is about the people, not the characters in the I Love Lucy show. Right. 
but nevertheless, Desi Arnaz. Right. But nevertheless, I don't see Desi Arnaz when I when I see him. I haven't seen the movie. I did see the trailer. I did read a bunch of articles about it. So creatively, I may have some differences with who I think would have made for a better role. But him actually sticking by his guns, defending his his perspective on the casting of this film, um, you know, and and withstanding to whatever extent you need to withstand this stuff, withstanding the criticism from a lot of these people, I think it, it puts it in the courage camp for me. So I, so I'm courage on on Aaron Sorkin, despite my creative difficulties with some of his choices. Um, I yeah. I I I struggle with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, look, on on the one hand, I I put I don't put a lot of weight on. Look, I, you have a Latina casting consultant, and I think it's important in this case where you have someone like Aaron who is not familiar with the culture to have basically guidance to get someone that could that could feed that basically could could help them in that process. I could appreciate that position. Like I don't know this this culture very well. I want to have someone here that can give me that kind of nuance. I mean, frankly, we play that role for people. But how do you feel so that's I, the only thing that they're doing, right? I know, Isn't Charlie, that... but we play that for people. Well, we're the only people doing that for others. So, so, so we don't we, advise should, that. But though. should we that's talk about No, don't use us in that way because we're the only person. I hear you. Like, so I, I can't be too harsh on that. Okay. Because we do that right now. So that's why I like to me like, okay, I get it. Now, it does speak to how little Aaron Sorkin or many reality, many Hollywood – really understand at all of the Latino culture at all. Because mm-hmm. even that nuance that, he, that he's making about Brazilian versus being Hispanic and therefore the Spanish, Spanish, yeah, people that are Hispanic tend to be people that are not Spanish, mm-hmm. that are, have roots from, from Spain that are not Spanish that people. That speak the Spanish tongue. Yeah. Right. It's like saying, well, English, so therefore let's get someone that's British. Like, well, those are Which two we do all things. the time, by the yeah, way. But we those can't are... seem to find any American actors in a lot of these movies either. But that, but, the justific- but, but they're not in the same category, right? Like, I understand. And I think he doesn't understand that 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 difference at all. So to me, it speaks to like it's like a such of lack of understanding the culture. So that's that's a challenge. I, I do 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 think about in this case is like look, we have such an underrepresentation of Latino actors in 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 Hollywood mm-hmm. on this iconic Latino role of someone that was like one of the first to be a Latino, and it was like very obvious part of who he was. It's not like it's not the same thing as as some actor or mm-hmm. some character. That you may think they're Latino, but it wasn't obvious. Like in the show and in his life, he is a very much a Cuban American, right? Uh, I just think like they could have done a little bit more to find someone that would that would be be that fit. Who who would you have seen? Like like an Eugenio de Reyes or somebody like that? No, of course not. Dude, you know, they use Eugenio de Reyes for everything. It's like he's like the uh, default he's the, answer he's to the, any the type J-Lo of. He's like of the two. The male, well, you, you got yeah. the two opposites now, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you need someone that is actually Latino who's like Latin American. Eugenio de Reyes doesn't matter. Like him. Yeah. Or or here's the other one, Diego Luna is the other one. So sure. you got like those two, three actors that are in that in that sort of category. What about Oscar Isaac? I mean, he's he's 42. Might be. I mean, he's a little younger than. Uh, you have to change the Nicole Kidman all, all character. Point, like it would have been interesting to see other folks that could that could that could that fit that role. I think that I don't have that big of an issue with him actually playing it. And the reason is because I don't know if you recall this, but there was also quite a bit of controversy when um, uh, the Brazilian actor played um, uh, in Narcos. He played um, what's what's the guy's name? I don't uh, Escobar. Escobar, yeah, he played Escobar. There was a lot. People were really heated about him playing Escobar. Yeah, right. There was they had a lot of issues, and I think especially because his accent was still obvious for those that are Spanish speaking that he wasn't a naturally Spanish speaker. Right, he speaks Portuguese. Right. Um, and that was something that people had quite a bit of issue. Now, I thought he did a great job in that role. I really liked liked him in that role. So I got over the fact 
that, yeah, you could tell that his accent is not quite, doesn't sound very but they, Colombian. But they wanted a headliner for They wanted an Academy Award nominee winner or whatever. They wanted somebody right. big. That's the thing. They could have found a Colombian, they could have found a Cuban actor. Well, but, but, but I, I guess the reason why I probably end up more courage than cringe at the end of the day, even though I, I, I wish they would do more in this case, is because in this case of, of uh, Wagner Mora, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. He, Brazilian ended up playing playing the role of someone that's Colombian and did I think a great job. Sure, right. But uh, people had a lot of issue with it as well, and I think and I could see that. I could see why people have a lot of issue with it. The one that frankly, the one to me that's odd is Nicole Kidman, mm. because Aaron uh, Aaron Sorkin talks about that it doesn't matter whether the actor looks like this person at all, or even it speaks, matters. or even speaks like her. He Dude, said it matters. Yeah, it matters, especially when it's an iconic person. Like you have to find someone that at least. If you squint hard enough, you can kind of see. I think there's more pressure. When you did Ali yeah. and, and Will Smith put on all that weight to look more like Ali, that matters. Like, you can't just have some guy that looks nothing at all like the dude. And it's like, yeah, yeah just we're just going to pretend like it's him, especially one that's so recognizable. And I agree with you. That, that, like but Lucy, that sounds to me like, like a creative difference, though. Do you, it, Where do you net out on him sticking by his casting choices, though? Yeah, I, I guess, I'm once again, at the end of the day, I'm more courage than cringe. Because I think Javier Bardem is a great actor. Um, I'm not as much with you in terms of the the like his him personally what he would be. I like the fact that they use a Latina casting director at least to try to close the gap because obviously he knows nothing about the culture just mm-hmm. based on his answer. Um, so for that, I'm more courage. Now I would have preferred to see a Latino actor, mm-hmm. out of, especially on such an iconic role of someone that was. Latino, it's not the same case like in cases where they're like comic books, people are all up in arms because this character was drawn white and then you have a black character who's playing it, like sure. that is all fictional. That's mm-hmm. different. This case is a real, a real person, person who in the show, yeah. who in real life, Cuban, is part of who they are. Even um um Andy, what's his name? Which one? The older actor now. I think he's probably too old not to play that play that role. Um Eddie Garcia. Andy Garcia. Yeah. He's probably too old to play, to play that role. But too to old, me, well, too old to play the role in this time period. In this yes. time period, yeah, yeah. But yeah. To, like someone like him, sure. Cuban actor sure. who's like, like that would have been great. Yeah, that's a good one, actually. I hadn't thought about yeah, Andy yeah. Garcia, but probably a little bit too old. The one thing we didn't mention, just to close this out, um, which also went into my calculus, both Desi Arnaz Jr. and um, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's daughter, I forget her name right now, both were like 100% on board with the yeah, casting. No, I mentioned That are executive yeah, yeah. producing. Yeah, Lu- Lu- yeah, Lucy is her name. Lucy, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I Lucy that. Arnaz, yeah, yeah. and uh, okay, yeah. So they they were both they blessed it, right? So that's great. Hopefully, it's a good movie. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it actually looks really good. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually I, gonna I'm, see this one. I'm gonna struggle with the Nicole Kidman. Yeah, she, it's just she looks weird. Well, let's talk. They, well, they made her with the like, <laughs> they made little, it look weird. They made yeah. her with the little tiny eyebrows and the yeah, kind of fatter yeah, yeah. face, and it's just like it, it, she it looks, looks a little. She looks, looks weird. Yeah, it looks a little bit made up. Um, Meanwhile, Bardem had like zero, literally did nothing different. I just, yeah, that's like, right. just showed up. It's Desi. I yeah. just showed up. I put a tuxedo on and suddenly yeah, I'm a Cuban yeah. band ma- bandmaster. There you go. Love it. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, Courage or Cringe, YouTube is removing, removed the dislike count on all videos across its platform. Mm-hmm. YouTube cancels dislikes. Uh, well, cancels the count, not dislikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so about a week ago, YouTube announced uh, its decision to get rid of the dislike count on videos right across the platform. Now, now why this matters, um, it's actually, you know, can be seen as a controversial move given to the extent that it impacts the public's visibility into a video's reception, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least YouTube's seen this as a way to protect creators, right, from harassment and reduce the threat of dislike attacks, which is basically this effort that happened when people coordinate, coordinate with each other. To go hate on a video. To go hate on a video, drive it down, drive its relevancy down, and so it doesn't get more Who are audience. these people? Haters. 
Uh, a lot of time on your hands. So while the dislike count is being removed, the dislike button is going to remain. So you can still dislike the video on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and creators can still see uh, how many dislikes it got within, like, in their side of, uh, basically, the analytics. So the on creator their side. can see whether or not people hate it, but the, what, but a consumer can't see. Consumer can't see it, right. How many people dislike it? So what led to this? Well, earlier this year, YouTube ran an experiment to see if they could reduce dislike attacks on cre- and creator harassment. Now, at a personal level, YouTube saw this as a problem that could affect creators' well-being. And as a platform, this seemed to overly impact creators with smaller channels. So those that are channels are smaller were more likely to get a, to get these dislike attacks than, than the bigger channels. Which is weird in and of itself. It's yeah. like, I mean... I don't know. What does that suggest? That like, if you're big, then I don't feel like I can launch a dislike attack on you or beat well, up on the little person. What I is think it? what it is is the fan bases, right? If you're big and someone launches a dislike attack on you, the fans, the fans. will come out and defend you, right? Which is if you're small, you just don't have enough of fans to defend you, right? So it's easier to get picked on. Now the downside of this is now the public loses the ability to easily track what videos may be disliked because they are either clickbait, you know, contain spam or misleading content. Hmm. Um, this is also not the first platform to make changes like this um, in hopes to address mental health-related co- uh, concerns with creators. So you remember a couple of years ago, I think now, Instagram began to test to hide its like counts globally, and but neither Facebook or Instagram actually stuck with that with that decision. Yeah. What they ended up doing is they basically made it – they gave the power back to the creators where you can remove the dislikes. If you want to. If you want to, and yeah. I yeah. bet you 90% of them don't even know they or, have that Or remove option. the likes, I guess. It's not the dislike in this case, like, but how many likes is getting. I think this is just another example, though, of them hitting on a potential solution to, to increase some of this uh, mental health issues. So, sorry, decrease the mental health impact of some of these things and them choosing not to really go there. Right, right, right. That's, uh, that's what I thought. Because they didn't bring it up. Curiously, they didn't bring it up in any of these recent congressional hearings until no. I watched it. Because, I mean, if they would have, they're like, oh, we did this two years ago. Oh, yeah, whatever happened to that? Whatever yeah, happened yeah. to that initial? Oh, we decided to shelve it or give it back to the creators. We, like, we gave the control to the creators. Sure. Who want more engagement. Right, so they're right, not right. going to opt against right. it. Um, so this is also coming at a kind of interesting time, right, where there's been high awareness around the impact of social media is having on people's mental health, mm-hmm. right, especially children. Which, as we know, has included hearings in Congress to address everything from mental health, privacy, ad targeting, content censorship across the board. Now, for YouTube, this seems like they really are doing this much more to retain creators from leaving the platform uh, to other places like, you know, TikTok. Uh, earlier this year, YouTube announced a $100 million uh, creator fund to, just, to jumpstart this short-form video platform. So courage or cringe, YouTube looking out for creators or YouTube looking out for regulators. Yeah, it's interesting because you know how I love giving YouTube a courage, but I'm going to give YouTube a courage on this. And it's a very simple premise, and it's this idea of criticizing privately and praising publicly, right? Um, Because that's fundamentally what it is, is you're still able to get the feedback that your video isn't good as the creator. But what you're not doing is airing out for the entire world to see the fact that something sucks or worse, a manufactured degree of awfulness because you got a bunch of people to agree with you to go dislike a video. So I like the idea of it driving some of that, you know, baser element away. I also think it's really interesting, right, that YouTube is kind of taking away some of this visibility and transparency at the same time that a platform like Netflix is adding it. So just yesterday, I don't know if you caught this, but just yesterday, Netflix launched a site called top10.netflix.com. And a company that has been notoriously closed vested about sharing any information now lists 
They're top performers in television and in film. And I went on it right now. I mean, I'm on it right now, and I can see that the number one film is Red Notice. It's been watched for 148 million hours this week. And it gives you all the breakdown of information. And I find that fascinating because as one platform kind of retrenches, another one becomes more open. And it forces me to ask the question, well, what should be the standard? We have standards for closed captioning. We have standards for formats. We have standards for ratings. What should be the standard with respect to visibility of the performance of a piece of content? If I turn on Hulu and I watch, I'm watching the Baltimore Ravens play on Hulu, like I don't see people going, this game sucks. I'm going to go to the next game. Like I don't see that feedback. Should I? I can make the case. I'd like to know whether or not the game is terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just got here, but it sucked the whole time. It was two quarters of awfulness. Just go to the next game. Broadcasters do that. They might say it, but what I'm saying is it's not clear. And they'll switch the feed if it's too, what, too big of a blowout. And then, well, okay, but that's a, that, that, that's a creative decision. That's mm-hmm. not putting a decision in the consumer's hand. What I'm saying is do, are we getting to a place where you can start thinking about sort of standards about what engagement information you should provide for this kind of visual content, or is it always just going to vary depending on the platform? Because right now it's all over the place. And I just find it fascinating that, again, YouTube has taken something away and Netflix is all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, here's our best performing stuff. You know what I mean? Right. But anyway, I'm couraged just on the principle of I think this idea, it seems to me like it's criticized privately, praised publicly. I like that. I think there's probably some net positive effects for people's well-being, creators, and otherwise. And I think like we got to, you know, things that keep us from wanting to hate on stuff is probably a good thing. So I'm encouraged on this one. Uh, I'm going to go cringe on this one. Okay. Um, and the reason I'm cringe is that I think you either are engagement like this, uh, likes and dislikes are either part of it or they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, the count of likes and the count of dislikes, either you have them or you don't have them. Right. I, I agree with you, but I would I will go the other way, which is say, then take off likes as well. Hmm. Take up likes count. Take up. I'd dislike. be okay with that too. Yeah, I'd rather do that. I think that the challenge, the issue that I have with just taking off the dislikes is like, there is value to actually show when there's cases where you do have content that is content that should be brought down because it is. There's a lot of clickbait content or should be all the time. You're you should could, be disliked, yeah. right? And like you should be able to tomatoes, see. Like you should be able to sure. see. Sure. Yeah. Because, because there's a lot of clickbait on YouTube, tons of clickbait on YouTube. Especially on YouTube that is giving you a lot. You put a lot on your tile that you're going to use, the right. image, and then you click on it, something completely unrelated. Well, me disliking that should matter in this case. Just the same thing as me liking it should matter or neither should matter and take them both off and just make it all based on engagement. But to me, when I hear the reason that they took it off is because of dislike attacks. So you're telling me that programmatically you cannot figure that out when there what it seems to be a concerted effort where people are are going in at a high volume of disliking a piece of content that for those that are watching it seem to, to consume a lot of the content. Hmm. There is no That's tech solved to address that. Interesting. That so you're dumb. So interesting. Like, you're almost taking a little bit of a conspiratorial route, which is you think they're doing this because of all the pressure that they're getting. So this can be a good guy in their congressional for hearing list. sure. I am very much. This is entirely a signal to regulators. You see, we're looking out for the mental health of, of young people. You see mm-hmm. how we took up this like and the fact that they expressly count. said that they're not doing it for regulatory reasons probably tells you that they are doing it for regulatory yeah. reasons. Interesting. Which is okay. which is if you really were looking for their for their best interest, then take off both. Yeah. Which by the way has take been off proposed. Likes and dislikes. That has been proposed. Take Especially off both on Instagram. Yeah. Well, we talked about it on Instagram. They did it two years ago and then they took it off. I'm like, right. oh, we'll just make it for the creators for them to be able to choose. And yeah, good luck with that one. By that the way, happens. this hasn't rolled out in the US yet. They started rolling it out, I guess, last week, but it, they're no, doing it's, it by it's already regions. live in the US. I just checked this morning. I can still see my dislike and the count on both uh, mobile and desktop. I, I can't anymore. Then they're then they're doing it in the market, but they're doing it selectively by account. Yeah, it's probably rolling out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have the dislike uh, button, but I can't see the count. Right. 
So you can still hate it, but you don't know how many other people agree with you. Right, right. That's exactly right. So anyways, I think it's more for regulation. All right. my my POB. I like that little conspiratorial slice. Keeping it real. Our last courage or cringe, John Cleese blacklists himself from woke Cambridge University talk. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you were you ever like a Monty Python or BBC comedy uh, peep person? Not BBC. Uh, there were some BBC stuff that I liked a lot. A lot. I like Benny Hill tons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was hilarious. Oh, classic. Um, was that something like your old man watched sometimes? Like you ca- you kind of w- caught him watching that, or was that something you watched? No, my my dad never watched that. No, no. It was my, my dad, my older brother. My dad would have Benny Hill on on a Saturday. No, that's no, not how I even knew. That's about off it. my older brother. Yeah. My older brother got me onto all the like the dumb show, the dumbest shows I've ever watched. Come from my older brother. Like he loves uh, Three Stooges. Three Stooges, great. Uh, Benny Hill. Like Benny these are all the same kind of category, <laughs> right? The little bald guy, like hitting him on top of the head. Yeah, yeah. So these are these were uh, you saw that as a lot of, as kids. Um, but yeah, so Monty Python. I remember the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. Remember, I don't remember the show. I don't think I ever watched the show. It was a sketch comedy show for people who yeah, don't yeah. know. But like one of the original, like I mean, this was like a seminal comedy show. Yeah. I mean, it was, and it was way out there for the time. I mean, it was crazy yeah, out there. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever watched. I mean, maybe I have, but I don't. I don't. I know what it is, but I've never really Monty Python's it. Flying Circus. Yep. Right. So John Cleese, this comedic actor who was best known for his role in Monty Python, Monty Python, decided to insert himself in the cancel culture conversation by taking directly to the woke mobs in mm-hmm. quotes and preemptively canceling himself. <laughs> I love that move. <laughs> Self-cancel. Uh, self-cancel. Uh, so just recently, uh, Cleese, who was supposed to give a talk at Cambridge University, where he's an alum, uh, decided to pull out after a fellow attendee was blacklisted by what he calls woke staff and students. And Cambridge is one of these uber elite. I mean, it's Oxford, Harvard, Yale, Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, way it's up a, there. Yeah, it is. It is. Now, to this, Cleese said, uh, I was looking forward to talking to students at the Cambridge Union this Friday, but I heard that someone there has been blacklisted for doing an impersonation of Hitler. I regret that I did the same on a Monty Python show, so I am blacklisting myself before someone else does. (laughs) He continued, I apologize to anyone at Cambridge who was hoping to talk with me, but perhaps some of you can find a venue where woke rules do not apply. Mm. Now, this is all response to an art historian, Andrew Graham Dixon, being yes. banned from speaking at the Cambridge Union event. Now, Graham Dixon last week performed a mock Hitlerian rant during an academic debate to uh, basically a caricature of Hitler and his views. Now, he has since apologized and said that his intention was to highlight the utterly evil evil nature of the Nazis. The the irony of this is that the debate was on on bad taste. That was the debate subject. He had to, <laughs> he had to defend a proposition. He had to defend a proposition, which I don't know if he was in actual if in the debate he actually believes what he was defending, but he had to defend right, a particular right, right, proposition. Right, right, right. So but that he, was the he context. Decided to do it in character as mm-hmm. Hitler. <laughs> Well, a, a portion. I watched the video. Did you get it? Did you no, actually see the I didn't video? find it. I couldn't find it. I found it on actually a. Um, I looked for it too. I was uh, trying to find like a quote, like what exactly he said. Yeah. I didn't find the actual. I video. can I can play some of it here. By the way, it's like I was thinking about doing that, and and uh, I don't know, like you know, copyright or other well, things. Well, may get flagged. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably get flagged for it. But yeah, the, but the context was. We'll, apparent, we'll put it in the, in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes, and that's safe. Yeah. Well, actually, why, why don't you you describe what the what the video was? So the was, context I didn't is. Actually watch the video. This is. It seems like. 
like something that they do um, very regularly. This is a debate setting. There's yeah. a guy sitting up on a like almost like a king's throne who is the arbiter. Well, who by the way, this he said he was drunk, and, and then he later, was drunk. Well, he said he was drunk, and then later said, no, 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 I just had a couple of of, of trust uh, me, a glass watched, of wine for I watched dinner. The video. <laughs> yeah, a glass of wine with dinner and with dessert and yeah. with mouthwash and with the mints. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so it's a guy sitting on a throne. There's young people all over the place. Like there's people on the left, people on the right, and then there's two people who are defending their propositions in front of them, right? So it seems to be part of a debate club or something that they do on a regular basis. Yeah. Now here is this guy. Um, what's his name again? I just I just lost. Oh, Andrew Graham Dixon. So yeah, Andrew Graham Dixon, Graham Dixon uh-huh. who's a historian, art historian. Uh huh. And he's basically explaining a perspective on how bad taste can also exist, how bad taste correlates to bad morality. That was like his sort of general thesis in this when he did this. Right. That was his debate. That was his debate. And so in the context of defending the proposition of how bad taste and bad morality can coincide, he goes into this kind of Hitler character where he starts saying, and I don't know if this stuff is actually from something Hitler said or from Mein Kampf or from one of these things. Right. But he literally goes on a rant in a German, a pseudo-German accent, basically saying all these awful things as a, as a way to, ill-advised perhaps, but as a way to advance the premise that bad taste and bad morality can go together because the things that right. he was saying was, look at this, you know, this, this, this art from these indigenous people, it's horrible because whatever, and look at the, the Jewish people and they do this kind of art and that's horrible. So he was trying to make the case that bad morality and bad taste coexist, and he mm-hmm. used that as an example to make that case in the debate. Now, also interesting to note, in the debate, not just the moderator guy, the guy sitting on the throne, everybody else was like rolling, laughing, rolling, okay? And and maybe they were all drinking, I don't know. Definitely the guy on the throne was, okay? But it it seems like a a romp, like something they do for fun. Maybe they they all drink, whatever. But it seemed like a very casual environment, and this guy is making the point by caricaturing Hitler that advances his proposition, which is bad taste and bad morality go hand in hand. That was his point right. that he was trying to make. Right. That's the context. Oh, tough. Yeah. Tough. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Um, no, actually, the la- last thing I will say about yeah, about, about uh, Gleese, which is um, he's gone after cancel culture before, right? Now, last he year— has. The comedian blasted the BBC after removed an episode of his 1970 sitcom Faulty Towers for featuring Great a racial show, slur. No idea what that show is. I think you're. Are way you more serious? Bright. You haven't seen Faulty Towers? You have to is. watch that show. It is very uh, funny. Now he's also been accused of transphobia after he defended Harry Potter's author J.K. Rowling during an online debate. In response to someone asking him, why can't you just let other people be who they want to be? He said in a tweet, "Deep down, I want to be a Cambodian policewoman. Is that allowed, or am I being unrealistic?" <laughs> He's a ball buster. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, and then earlier this year was announced Cleese would star in a new series exploring woke culture mm-hmm. titled John Cleese, Cancel Me. Mm. So courage or cringe, another brave comedian signing up to cancel mob or stirring up controversies to generate interest in a new show. Mm. You or me? Uh, I could go. Go. I was courage, courage. I don't work that last one. Cringe. A hundred percent cringe. This is him literally like someone pay attention to me like, hey, I'm not a part of this. And like I have a new show coming out about me getting canceled. Oh, I got you. Let me jump into the cancel culture conversation. See, you're always so much more thoughtful. Throw about myself this stuff. in there. And you, like you, I was courage, courage, courage until that was like, ah, oh, 
I'm also discovering there, a it makes slightly sense. conspiratorial streak in you, but because uh, I'm looking at these things well, as face value, and like, you're like going way deep on well, it's what just, the motivation. Might it be. all. I was like, yeah, no, you're right. Like mm-hmm. that's you know, even if there was bad taste and like, not even seeing the video, it's not like I probably poor judgment. Also, by the way, we I don't know what the culture is for that kind of event, mm-hmm. that debate event. Maybe it is comedic, and maybe people are really what really I saw loose. was what I saw was it could have turned to that. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's usually that, but it could have turned. It could be like that could be part of the culture that they have there, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, and if that's the case, you know, doing parody is hard, and you know, not I was a comedian, I could see how that could be, you know, uh, taken the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was for all of it until the last part. Because I think he's literally j- launching a show called Cancel Me. And then what he does is he's throwing himself in the in the cancel culture conversation by preemptively canceling himself. It's a brilliant PR move for sure. It's a brilliant PR yeah, move. Yeah. And I can't get over that. If that last part wasn't there, I, that would, I would be all in the So camp. interesting because, see, in, so, in a case, in, cringe, in a court cringe, of law, cringe. my friend, that uh, would be called uh, some uh, material not in evidence. Is that that? Oh, it's that very in evidence. No, well, but no, but you very, very. Are you kidding yeah, me? But so you're ascribing Context. you're ascribing a motive to to what oh, he said. Yeah. So you, is there a clear motive here? I actually believe he would have done this anyway. I I do believe he would have maybe well, given his history, the, which you just brought up. I think he would have said something like this. Maybe Charlie, also. but does these does does that a relevant fact? In, it's a relevant fact in a, in a brilliant PR move. Look, if we agree that this part of this is potentially a brilliant PR move, we're like great. Well, what is he promoting? Oh, that's right. This new show. Sure. What's the show about? Oh, called Cancel Me. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. It's brilliant. So Got I, it. I, I didn't go as down the rabbit hole as you did. Um, I kept it at the, the stuff that's in evidence, which is his statement. That is in evidence. You could say it's not, you know, you don't want to consider right. it. Okay. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I am considering it, but I'm not giving it the weight that you are, I guess. Um, so I I, needed, I think context is, is key in all this stuff. And the context was a debate where this guy, Andrew Graham Dixon, was defending a proposition. Who knows if sure. he even agrees with it? Because debates oftentimes you're told to defend a proposition that you personally sure. may disagree with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whatever. The debate plus the fact that it was this kind of setting, which you have to watch the video. We'll put yeah. it in the show notes, whatever. And then on top of that, Cleese, who is a kind of in-your-face sort of comedian. He's gotten a little bit more um, – more – a little bit more uh, outspoken as he's gotten older. He's 82 sure. years old. Um He's, All a, he's an older doesn't care. That's fine. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and and by the way, I think it would have been fine for him to attend the Cambridge thing and given his talk. Nobody asked him not to. I think attending or not attending, it would have been fine. But if I just take what I consider to be the primary evidence here um, and I, I you know see it as a maybe show of solidarity with this disinvited, disinvited art historian uh-huh. and to bring attention to the issue, right, especially in the context of comedy um, – I, I give it a courage. So, uh, you know, if I if I look at it just from the PR standpoint, I, I still might give it a courage, even though because it's that it's it, it's effective potentially. It's but, very effective. Yeah. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant move. Yeah, but the uh, actual item that we're defending, right, is him canceling himself, and for I, sure, yeah, that, that's why I'm that's why I'm cringe on him canceling himself. Got it. Because, because, you, because, because you ascribed I'm, I'm, I'm almost not, all of it to the PR move. What no, I'm saying is I'm even not, without that, I think he would have done it or done something. Similar. Yeah, because the whole thing about whether or not Graham Dixon should have been. You know, blacklisted. Like, frankly, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I would probably go cringe on that. It sounds like the guy just, you know, maybe it wasn't the, the best of taste. And you know, like I said, uh, uh, comedy's hard. Uh, parody's even harder. But especially when you're not a comedian or a, or a, a right. person who does parody, right? When you're not a comedian, but is that enough to cancel someone? That no, right? But so I think with him, the timing of it, him doing this, mm-hmm. um, and the show coming out, it just feels like. A great, great PR move. 
Um, yeah. There's another conspiracy that I just heard about recently. Mm-hmm. Right, that was hilarious on the comedy side. Oh wow! So, um, and I and I knew the second that it, that the that 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 sketch came out, people were going to be talking about it. Which is uh, SNL as part of their cold open. They did uh, a um, Ted Cruz um, uh, like opening sketch mm-hmm. around Sesame did, Street. Did they had the woman play Ted Cruz because they always yeah, have yeah, yeah. she's great. She's great. <laughs> So they By the had way, to, Aaron Sorkin would be proud. You have a woman playing a man. So yeah, 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 there you go. Can't yeah, yeah. say can't say it's, it can't be done. Fine. That's right. So uh, they had it right, and uh, it was it was actually I thought it was pretty funny. Now one of the things they did is, of course, they had uh, um, I forget the name of the of, of the of the actor, but or the comedian, but he played Joe Rogan, and he comes up and he's basically like telling uh, Big Bird, "Oh, you just take horse pills." Like I take them. He's like, "But I'm not a horse." Like it doesn't matter. I take them. Right. So, and oh, it's like. Man. The whole thing was was hilarious, and I saw that like, with Joe Rogan. I'm like, "Oh, this is gonna get these these guys all riled up right away." And I was listening to this guy Andrew Schultz as he was talking about it. I'm like, "This is either like a little bit of lazy writing on, on doing this kind of like very obvious joke about Joe Rogan, or it's a brilliant move by SNL hmm. of knowing that just throw just because the rest throw of a little Rogan and somebody might actually watch the cause, show because the rest of it was actually really good. It's yeah. actually I would say out of the episodes, this one." Like when you look at the number of sketches, they were all like pretty funny. Maybe not every one of them, but they but had it's like a, really funny But it's a good audience ones. development move because I think at this point, probably more it's, people listen to the Joe Rogan ads than actually watch SNL. Well, yeah. So it, it was it was a brilliant move. Also, uh, um, what's the guy? The one of the co the head the the head co uh, the co head writers mm-hmm. who does uh, Weekend Review. Uh, che, I forget what his last name is, yeah. or is that his, I don't know if it's his first or last name. Um, he also has his own comedy special coming out. Mm-hmm. So he got into this other like online debate or fight with another comedian. And they're saying like, this is like all brilliant moves by these guys. Michael Che. Michael Che. Yeah. Thank you. So he got into a fight with other, other guy who's like mm-hmm. a very good friend of Joe Rogan mm-hmm. because it was, there was talking smack about, you know, Saturday night live. Well, more people watch the show. That's for sure. And that's my point. It's like, yeah. it was a brilliant move. They're yeah. like, this guy is a genius. He's a very really successful comedian. He's a head co-writer or co-head writer of the show. And did this perfect timing to like bump in the in, to, to go up in the news. They can pull like talking about it and watching the show. So that's where I. That's where you knit out. That's where I knit out. Well, that's yes. beautiful. All right. Well, see, I I know I said this the last week, but I was wrong. But actually, this week I was courages all the way across. So there you go. Anything else, Jesus? No. Very animated no, show. No You're very animated today. You're very no con- other conspiracy theories. Very I'll, conspiratorial I'm today. I'm sure I have more, but no, right. no more that I can think of. One quick note for everybody. Make sure you check out in the show notes, we have a section called Ad Fontes, right, which means to the sources in Latin. And that's where we put all the links to these things. We, we, we take some time to do that. So make sure you check out the sources of the stories that we actually talk about because you may find a different opinion of your own from the ones that you've heard on the show. Um, also just wanted to again mention anybody listening to the show because of our new home at revolver, we thank you and welcome you to the show. Thanks for being here. Tell your friends about it, share the show. And that way we can come back and see you again next time on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. 
The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.